You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Make way for Brady Quinn, Fox Sports College and NFL studio and game analyst. And, of course, the uh, radio host on Fox Sports Radio, Two Pros and a Cup of Joe with LeVar Arrington and Jonas Knox, the show that precedes ours on Fox Sports Radio. Let me start with that, Brady. What do you make of that vote coming up in December and the likelihood that we might not have a 12-team playoff until 2025? I'm keeping my fingers crossed and, and praying to the college football gods that we do expand. Um, I, I think the college football playoff has had a ton of momentum. And we've gotten to a point now where we've seen there's flaws in the process of the 13-person committee picking the four teams to play off for it. Um, there's just – it's an unlevel comparison between conferences, between schedules – and, and those and the, and the likes. So I think we've gotten to a point now where expansion brings intrigue back to college football in the playoff again. It allows brands like Cincinnati, who I don't know if they'll end up making it in the top four this year or not. We can have a debate all we want about whether or not they're deserving, um, but it allows them then the chance to actually make it into a playoff and, and let's see what they can do and let's see if they can make a run. But I think greater than that, Dan, it, it really allows – more parity in college football. Right now, what you're seeing, when you see a five-star, four-star recruit and you listen to these commitments, a lot of times they're saying, I want to go to Alabama because I want a chance at going and winning the SEC and winning a national championship. You know, a lot of kids are saying that when they go to some of the top schools, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, you're hearing them say this. And the problem is, is those guys aren't looking someplace closer to home because they feel like there's just no shot of going to play in the playoff. You expand this to 12 teams, I think not – exactly like March Madness, but you get a team like Gonzaga that was once viewed as a Cinderella story that's now viewed as a powerhouse. And it might take some time to build it to that, but I think it'll help build that narrative for some of those programs and create more parity. So, um, you know, could it get done in a couple weeks? I hope so. It's not that complicated. We made so many adjustments over last year with COVID. Why not? And you already had a 12 uh, team or playoff proposal that, you know, was being worked on for two years by Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director of Notre Dame, and a few other conference commissioners. So it shouldn't be that hard to put it together. It just really comes down to the alignment where these games are played and how they go about structuring, I think, the first round of that 12-team playoff. What's your reaction to this proposed uh, 10-year contract for $90 million for Mel Tucker at Michigan State? Um, And you got the game against Ohio State this weekend where they're 19-point underdogs. You've beaten Michigan twice, but... He's only coached, what, 29 games, 28 games, and now you're going to put him up on par with uh, Nick Saban with what he makes at Alabama? What am I missing here? Uh, Well, did you ever see that movie, The Perfect Storm, with George Clooney? Um, I did, but I honestly can't remember how it ends. I don't think it ends well. No, no, it doesn't work out well. (laughs) Maybe maybe that's the case here, too, because I think this week at Ohio State may end up giving Michigan State the business. And by the way, probably even Penn State after that. Like, they could go on a two-game skid after announcing this. But it really was the perfect storm. When you think about the track record of Mel Tucker, remember he up and left Colorado after one year. And so he's already shown the propensity to do something like that, even though he's only been in Michigan State now for two years. So that was probably a concern. You have all these big programs now, LSU in particular, that I think we both know is the one that was probably throwing out some big figures or big numbers at him, trying to lure him back to the SEC where he once was a defensive coordinator. So that plays into the structure of the contract and the value. 
but you, you then have, you know, a program that has kind of turned some things around. And so I think they're trying to build off this momentum. They're trying to build off this intrigue into the program. And, and he's able to strike on it when he's one of the most wanted mans, probably not only in college football. I wouldn't be shocked if there's not a few NFL teams, given his NFL pedigree in the past, that didn't look in on it. So when you give him a deal like this, he's basically saying, like, I'm staying put. You know, I don't, I, you don't have to worry about coming back to me next year, the next year, the next year, if there's a job opening. I'm staying put here at Michigan State. It looks like a lot of money, but I do think if you, as you project forward, all these coaches' contracts are only going to go up with a Big Ten um, TV rights deal coming up soon. I think schools are going to look at other revenue models as well, like, like professional sports things with gambling to figure out how to capitalize on some of that too. So it always seems like a lot now. I think five years down the road, though, you'll see a lot more coaches who are up in the stratosphere as far as what he's being compensated. Yeah, they're going to go in and say, I want the Mel Tucker deal. Hey, I, what, what, what are you uh, looking for? Uh, Mel Tucker money is what I'm, I'm looking at. And how is Lane Kiffin possibly up for the job or be interested or whatever it's rumored, reported that Lane Kiffin is on the short list to take over at, at the U? What do you, I mean, he spent some time in South Florida, you know, not, not too far away up at FAU. Uh, and so I, I think he understands how to recruit that area, whether it's back from his ties at Alabama or, or even USC when he was probably recruiting more nationally. Uh, and so I think it makes sense from that standpoint. You know, I, they've got to figure out their athletic director first. Um, I would think that'd be your first move before you go hiring yeah. your head football yeah. coach. Yeah. And they, are, they already have many ideas there still. So uh, that's, you know, it gets a little bit tough to talk about when there's already somebody who's in that position right now. But give Lane credit for what he's done. I don't care if it's FAU who he built up. Like, my wife and I used to go up to the Boca Bowl, which FAU would play in up there, um, you know, every, you know, December. And we go grab a burger at Shake Shack. We go watch football games. And the transition from what was before to what happened after with Lane Kiffin was dramatic. It was unlike anything I've ever seen at a smaller school. And, and what he's done at Ole Miss, bringing them back to be competitive, relevant. They're talked about within the SEC. You know, Miami's looking for that. I mean, Florida State Miami played this past weekend, Dan. Did anyone talk about it? Did anyone care outside of state of Florida? No. I mean, that's, it's sad because I grew up and I was like, this was the matchup like at Ohio State, Michigan, and all these other great rivalries, that was one that you circled because you know how good both programs were. They've both taken a dip and a decline. I think Miami's desperate to get back to where they need to be, and Lane can bring that sort of buzz and this climate in college football in 2021 back to the U, in my opinion. Oh, I, look, I, I know Lane Kiffin can do it, and he, he, he makes you relevant. He, he has fun. Um, he's laughed at himself. But I never want to hear a coach complain about the transfer portal ever again. You know, you got these guys leaving after one year, two years. You know, it, I just don't just save the words here. Let these kids, if they want to come and go, because if they go to play for a coach, then they should have that opportunity to go and play for another coach that they want to play for. Now they finally have. I, I think where coaches complain about the transfer portal is when other teams are trying to poach players on your current team yeah. that aren't playing. Yeah. That's, that's where this thing gets tricky. And this is how it works. It's actually pretty simple. They basically have a kid on their roster, contact, who maybe was a high school teammate or, or played against him in high school. They contact that player, social media, text, what have you. And they start the conversation usually through his high school coach. And they're like, hey, he's not playing. He's pretty unhappy. Can you hit him up? You know, tell us what you think. And that's kind of the grassroots of what's going on behind the scenes. So 
when you hear coaches complain about the transfer portal, it's more because in some cases they're making decisions in game that have to do with other teams trying to poach the guys already on their roster that maybe are sitting behind a guy who's going to go to the NFL next year. And, and they don't want to be patient enough to wait. They don't want to wait on that opportunity. And so I think that's where more of the frustration comes from is you having to recruit, <laughs> having to recruit transfers, JUCOs, you know, obviously incoming freshmen to your program, but also the guys on your own roster, because especially at talented schools, everyone's trying to poach them. He's Brady Quinn, Fox Sports College and NFL studio analyst. The uh, big noon kickoff on Fox in Norman. It's Oklahoma and uh, Iowa State. Um, Give me the trap game this weekend. The one that you go, uh uh-oh. Is there one that stands out for you? Um, You could have said that about this game, I think, for Oklahoma had they won last week. Just with Oklahoma State, you know, there for them next week in Bedlam. That was one that kind of I was thinking of going into it. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously for Michigan, I, I think that's the one you're looking at. They're playing Maryland, and they've got Ohio State on the other side. And, you know, Michigan needs to win out. They need a little bit of help. But that's the one that, you know, they can't really look past Maryland. Now, I don't think Maryland's a threat. But in reality, you know, they like to throw the football around a little bit. Rakeem Jarrett's one of the better wide receivers in college football. And you never know if you get caught looking ahead or a sleepy environment there in Maryland, and maybe you don't play the game you need to. I mean, it's not like Michigan's offense is the most prolific. They run the football effectively. Cade McNamara has continued to improve throwing the football downfield, uh, in particular last week, in a, in a nice comeback win. But the truth of the matter is they're not Ohio State, and so they can't afford to get behind any team, in my opinion. Uh, otherwise, they kind of run that risk of potentially falling short. So, what about you know, maybe you look at Michigan like that? Utah against Oregon. It's not a trap well, game. No, because I, I think it's a trap game in the sense of like Oregon can't afford to lose and still make the playoff. But yeah. you know, really, no matter who wins, they're still going to see each other in the Pac-12 championship game. So that's the that's the crazy thing about this matchup is Oregon can't afford to lose it. Utah probably still can. And the irony to it, too, is the way they go about picking the Rose Bowl, which is out of, you know, out of the rotation for the semifinal games. Utah has a better chance of losing this week and going to the Rose Bowl than if they happen to beat Oregon and then they go on and play each other in the Pac-12 championship game and lose that game because Oregon's not getting the playoffs. So they would probably be the team that ends up going to the Rose Bowl. So it's a weird scenario, but I don't even know if that's a trap game. I just think yeah. it's a tough game to play in Salt Lake versus a good Utah team that's really come around with Cameron Rising at quarterback for them. Is it fair to compare Mac Jones's rookie season to Tom Brady's? Well, no. I mean, Tom didn't play his rookie year, right? Well, his first so, year playing. Uh, no, I mean, the NFL is at such a different point now, too. I think when you look at the style of offense and, you know, I remember, you know, Charlie Weiss coached me for two years. That was his offensive coordinator when Tom first you know, took over and they had a great defense. They ran the football well. They mixed in some screens and then downfield shots. They didn't ask him to do a ton. Mac Jones is being asked to do a good amount within the system. The way they spread things out, they're asking him to be very accurate on time with the football, uh, understanding where he needs to go with the football. I mean, Josh McDaniels really requires that from you within his system. Uh, but also, I, I think it's just the lack of them being able to really create big-time explosive plays, at least stretching the field vertically. So it's a part of what they have, but it's also a part in the product of how the games play now. It's just more spread out. So I think you look at the efficiency, you look at everything from Mac Jones, and it's incredibly impressive. 
But it, it's hard not to think that, you know, maybe Tom Brady would be able to do the same thing. But you know, look, Mac Jones is a more developed player um, than, than I think Tom Brady was at that point. He was battling with Drew Henson to get into that spot. They weren't throwing the football around quite as much. I mean, Mac at least had a year to start and obviously the replacement duty to Tua two years ago. And I, I think that prepared him well for what Josh McDaniels is asking to do right now. And I always bring this up with people when they talk about quarterbacks development. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott, great quarterback. Mac Jones, great quarterback. We're not quite sure about Justin Fields or Trey Lance. And I said it has to do with the environment you go to, especially early. You want early success for a quarterback. You know, Mahomes goes to a team that was 12-4. and four. Andy Reid, offensive-minded guy. I got Kelsey. I got Tyreek Hill. Okay, you're going to succeed. Dak goes to the best offensive line in football at the time. He's got a 1,500-yard rushing uh, running back. He, if, if he goes to Jacksonville, Dak Prescott is not on anybody's radar. You know, even Mahomes would be a curiosity, but he would still be like, oh, yeah, that guy's, you know, entertaining. It's that success, and you know this as well as anybody. You go to a team, and it's not a good situation, whether it's head coach, offensive coordinator, owner, all of the above, and it's hard to succeed with that. But, you know, Situ you faced it. Yeah, situation and circumstance is paramount to, I think, any player's success. You know, we talk about it with first-round quarterbacks because, you know, that's, you know, that we have the most impact on the game. We're the face of the franchise, and that's really where you build all the hype for the draft for. But I don't care what player you're talking about and, and what system they're in. Um, you know, Kendrick Bourne was looked at, the wide receiver for the New England Patriots, as maybe at best the third option in San Francisco, a special teams player. You know, now he's contributing in a much bigger way within that system because of the position that Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels in particular are putting him in. So, yeah. you know, you, you put Trevor Lawrence on the New England Patriots, I think he's doing the same thing Mac Jones is doing. You know, maybe Justin Fields too. I, I think with the, the rest of this quarterback class, different story. And that's not to take away from what Mac Jones has done. It's just Mac Jones entered into the best possible scenario for him, his skill set, and what he's being asked to do. And I think there's probably one or two other quarterbacks in his draft class that would have been able to excel to a degree if they were drafted to New England, but that's obviously not the circumstance. I wish blank would have drafted me. Oh, man. Now, now we're going down a slippery slope because I feel like um, you know any team I, I say it's going to I'll be spurring the Browns. I mean, that was my childhood team I rooted for growing up. I mean, well, you go back and you look at like the good teams, you know, like we played against in our division, Pittsburgh or or Baltimore, and Baltimore is the one that I was talking to at the time during the draft, and they had that great defense, they had a great running game, and you know you you would have walked into that not having to necessarily do a ton. And so I didn't get drafted there. It wasn't me. It ended up being Joe Flacco the next year. And he was able to kind of work his way in through that system to eventually go win a Super Bowl. So Baltimore is always the first one that comes to mind because they're the one that I was talking to the entire 22nd pick of the draft uh, back in 2007, trying to get to know them because they were going to take me at 23. So that was always the one I always kind of say, man, I wonder how different things would have been had I got drafted to Baltimore as opposed to Cleveland. You'd be playing for the Jets this weekend against the Miami Dolphins. 
That's right. Because <laughs> life comes full circle. Yes, I, I, I still ended up at some point playing for the Jets, having to go up against the Dolphins, that blitz-heavy defense. I think, so, uh, I, I think you yeah. did okay. Okay, I, I think it worked out okay for you. I'd rather... yeah, I mean, who knows? Then, then I wouldn't be here with you. you know? And then we couldn't be a part of, you know, the uh, – Joe Matt Flacco Campbell would setup. be there. Joe Flacco would be talking right. to me right Joe now. Joe Flacco, he would be talking to you. That would be a different story. Yeah. Have fun in Norman. Always great to talk to you, Brady. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me. It should be fun. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. He's Darius Rucker, country music star, three-time Grammy winner. He joins us on the program. Hi, Dan. Do you root for a heartache when you're writing a song? You don't root for it, but it sure does help you write a song. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, because, you know, if you grow up and you have an easy life, it's kind of hard to write a hit. Like, you, you have to go through – Adele went through heartbreak. Taylor goes through heartbreak, it feels like, every couple of years. <laughs> right? Yeah. Heartbreak helps you write. It's, it's easy to write a heartbreak song. You know, because you're writing from, I guess – Deep down inside you, it, 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 you know, it's easy to put your emotions on paper when you're hurting. Okay. Do you, put, uh, do you put your emotion on paper? I have. Yes. Yes. What's the, what's the Absolutely. painful song? What's the one that you go, that one hurt? Let her cry. That one hurt, man. That, that was, uh, I was sad when I wrote that song. I was sad and drunk. Okay. But I never understood why you let her cry when, why not just, hold her hand i was i was her you know and so she was letting me cry i was the girl in that song she was the guy and so uh <laughs> she was letting me cry i guess <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, was she going through heartbreak or heartache or? i was i i was going through heartbreak i don't think she really cared what was going on <laughs> okay does she know the song is written about her yes yes she does have i met this yes. woman Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's it. I just want to know if you have any... any, any cool. Good talking any, to you. <laughs> who are you listening to right now? Who am I listening to? That that new Adele record is just awesome. I'm such a fan. She's awesome. That Sheeran record, man, that, that kid can write a song. Uh, I, you were talking with the brothers I was born. I can't stop listening to them. You know who I'm, I really can't stop listening to is John Party. He's awesome. Is He's that awesome. P A R D Y. P A R D I. Okay. Yes. Okay. He's awesome. Right. Yeah. But you did something with Ed Sheeran. Did Did he write a song with you? Yeah, he wrote a song that was on the Hootie record, and we wrote a song together. We wrote a song together that's on uh, going to be my country record, my next record coming up. Yeah. Uh, that's with your, uh, my masterpiece. Yes. Same record. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, Darius is, Oh, you know what? Before I get to this, he's, he's doing something clothing wise. We have a bet. We want to know the, the last job you had before you were a singer. Okay. Hold last on. job hold I on, had. Hold on. Oh, hold sorry. Good. No, it's a contest. Okay. Who, uh, who wants to go first? The last job that Darius had before he became a full-time singer. Seton. Oh, man. I'm going to say he was a bartender. Bartender. You don't want him as your bartender. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I got problems. You, 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 you would, it would be a great pour, I would say that. But uh, I'd have to pour him off the carpet when it was all done. McLovin, what job do you think Darius had? Fishing guide. Fishing. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Okay, I'm going to guess that's a no. Uh, Paulie. I'm guessing something not too strenuous with a lot of women around. Maybe saw a summer job at a golf course. Yeah. A summer job at a golf course. Okay. Just before he started getting paid to be a singer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Todd? He sold watches at a mall and he was so sick of that job. That's why he ended up writing, I don't believe in time. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, stop your laughing. No, no. You just encourage him. That was a good one. Uh, You worked at a record store. Yes, I worked at a record store. It was my last job. Yes. That doesn't really count as a job. No, because I really only work like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because we were were playing all the time. So, but, uh, you know, that was my job. All right. I I was a bartender too, but, you know, that was before that. What's what's the first? Uh, you didn't get a check back then. Like first time you sang, what was the amount of money you got? Oh God! First time me and Mark played live, I think we got twenty five bucks. We got twenty five bucks, and that basically paid for the little little PA we brought. But we got free beer, so okay. that made it okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, twenty five bucks of free beer. Are you at your house right now? In Charleston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you have behind you? What are those pictures? Uh, that's Chris Christoph. That's the Chris Christopherson uh, tribute that we all did that uh, was really awesome. Uh, back here, that's a picture of uh, me and the country band. It's my favorite picture of us. It's really the only picture I have of me on the wall is that one. And under that is a thing I did for uh, Lionel Richie. Yeah, that's huh. it. Okay. I think we've, I've asked you this before. Any a duet with anybody. Let me take McCartney out of there. You can't have McCartney. Adele. Again. Adele again. Yes. Yes. Adele. But how intimidating can it be when somebody has a voice like that? Dude, I sang with her at a thing for Lady A, and, and the intimidation factor was crazy. Her voice is crazy, you know, and I'm trying to sing those high notes that Charles was singing, you know, and she just belted it out. It was, it was like, I was like, man, can I just stop when you sing it? Cause I think this was a bad idea. But I- <laughs> that defeats the, the purpose of a duet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But she's special, man. She's special. I, I you know, So Darius in the, uh, the blowfish, they have Monday after the masters where they raise money for uh junior golf in South Carolina. It's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, you know, weekend. And um, he invites singers, you know, people are there. Uh, well, John Daly, but he's not a singer. But John goes, John sings, what, knock, 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 and on Knock heaven. it on heaven's door. <laughs> every year, it. every year. Every year. John just saunters out. I don't think anybody goes, uh, hey, where's John? Or John, you're next. John just walks on stage and starts singing. But yep. you had the lead singer of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Is that, yeah, that Maurice White? Philip Bailey. Bailey. Philip Bailey. Philip Bailey. Yeah, he and he was incredible. So um, but he started singing and 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 Darius, he wanted you to start singing with him. And it's the I'd never seen you wave off a singer before, but you know, Philip sings in a different 
you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a different zip code. And he's like trying to bring you in and you're just like waving him off. Like, nope. You know, he's up in the party. <laughs> and he's like, I, was like I, I don't do that. I don't do that. Like, you, you got it. You got it. I'm going to stand over here holding the mic like this. Yeah. Philip Bailey. I wanted to meet him. And, and who else was there? Lee Elder was. Uh, Lee Elder was there at that one. Wonderful yeah. man. Wonderful man. Yeah, Lee's a great, great guy. Those are two I love people him. I wanted to meet that day. Uh, Darius is uh, working with Fanatics, the world's largest provider of licensed sports memorabilia, merchandise, and sent us some gifts here. Uh, NFL merchandise for all 32 teams available now. The Darius Rucker Collection. Fanatics.com. NFLshop.com. What do you got on today? You got the Dolphins? I got my Dolphins flannel, you know, with my with my name, with my logo right next to the NFL. So it looks really, really cool. That's pretty hey, neat. You know, that's, that is, for me, being a fan like I am, you know how I am about the NFL. And, you know, to be, to have this line and, and it's just, it's neat. It's cool. It's something I wouldn't have even dreamt about. So it's it's really awesome. But you know what I would love is if you just had a sweatshirt, a Dolphins sweatshirt, but then you had teardrops on the, the sweatshirt. <laughs> right? I, I do every I do every week anyway. <laughs> All right. Do you want a new quarterback in Miami? No, I want some talent around the one we got. You know, I, 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 I think Tua can play. I just don't think we've really given him – he's been hurt and we haven't given him a team to play with. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of these quarterbacks – get a bad rap because they get on a, on a team that's not doing it and everybody go there. They're a bust yeah. and they're not a bust. They just don't have the talent around them to do what they can do. So I don't, I want to give two of the talent and see what we can do. Yeah. Matt feels like that owner wants to make a splash and give the, uh, give the dolphins a, a little bit of a pulse here because it, they're and, a pretty bland team. A splash with who? Deshaun Watson. That's a splash. Yeah, that's definitely a splash. Yeah. That's a that's, cannonball. That's a, a cannonball. That's a cannonball. Yeah, that, that, yeah. yeah, that's blowing it all up. That's, that's blowing it all up there, you know. But uh, you know, when's Deshaun going to play again? And, and you know, you, you got you need somebody out there on Sunday. So, uh, are you betting this year? You know, I'm betting this year. That's like that's like saying, did you wake up this year? You know, I'm betting this year. Okay, <laughs> are you winning this year? I, I was keeping this to myself because I know I'm jinxing myself right now. Because <laughs> right now, Dan, I'm friggin' on fire. I'm on. I know it's going to end tonight now that I said that. I'm on fire right now. It's, I mean, shocking. Biggest win of the year. What was it? Uh, in one, one Saturday, I think I won a total. One, no, one Sunday afternoon, I won like 12 grand total. <laughs> fire. On fire. On fire. Hit them all. Yeah, but twelve grand's nothing to you. Yeah, when it goes the other way. <laughs> <laughs> when, when when you got to write that check, and, and I want to say this is the funny part. I'm talking about how much of a fire I am right now, and you guys, this is not an exaggeration. I went from a Thursday night to a Monday night where I went one of fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> It was awful, bro. You, it was awful. You, you were was... like Jimmy Johnson's Cowboys. You were one in fourteen. One in fourteen. Going like around the around the seventh game in a row. I'm like, I gotta win this one. I gotta go big here. Uh, bad move. What, bad what, move. One in fourteen. What's the biggest loss you ever had? Oh, uh, I've lost double digits. 
mid 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 uh, mid double digit thousands I've lost on the game. Yeah, I, I don't do that anymore though. I'm very low key. You know, I got my numbers. I stay down. You know, I'm good. If you want to keep that doing... kind of watch that you're wearing, you know, then you can't be making those kind of bets, there, <laughs> dude. Hey, I can be as long as I, as long as they'll still let me play, go and play these shows. I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> That's true. I'll be okay. Uh, what do I'll you okay. What do you do the rest of the day? Uh, as soon as I take this off, I'm going to run and play golf. <laughs> That's what I'm going to play golf with Jack. Shouldn't you yeah. be Shouldn't you be writing music here? Um, I'm about done with the record. You know, the record oh, okay. is pretty much done. So uh, I'm not going to be. I'm taking a little time off now. Could we write you a song? You could. I probably wouldn't cut it, but you could. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll cut. Actually, you guys write a song. I'll cut it. I okay. can't promise it'll be on my record, but I will cut it. Yeah, because I was going to send it to Chris Stapleton, but yeah, he won't cut. He won't cut. It. <laughs> but, but... Do you know that that Chris Stapleton didn't know who Adele was? I that had doesn't surprise me. I, so after he won his Grammys after, after Traveler, we had him on, yeah. and and he he wrote a song he didn't even know. You know, somebody said, "Oh, Adele won a whatever with your song," and he goes, "Who's Adele?" <laughs> I'm like, Chris is awesome. I'm like, wow that that guy lives in a whole different world. If he don't know, who oh, he does. He lives uh, in a whole different world. So it's uh, fanatics.com, nflshop.com if you want to check out uh, all the great stuff that uh, Darius has and uh, that company does. They do great work. Uh, great to talk to you. And uh, tell Jack I said hello. Have fun today. Talk to you soon. Great talking to you. Go Cox. All right. Later. All right. There you go. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, it's Ben, host of The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller, along with my trusty sidekick, David Gascon. Would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking, what in God's name is The Fifth Hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of The Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and more. Listen to The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. He's Jeff Van Gundy from the Mothership. He'll join Mark Jackson, Ryan Rucco, calling tonight's Mavs Suns game. That's at 10 Eastern on ESPN. The earlier game, the Lakers visit the Celtics. Mike Breen, Doris Burke, and Cassidy Hubbard will be providing the coverage of that as Jeff joins us on the show. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? Still makes me laugh every time you say Mothership. <laughs> I'm doing good. Well, I was uh, I was wondering about as a coach when do you re- when what's the earliest you think you can get an assessment of how good you think your team is going to be during the season or how bad I would say you you don't want to underreact nor do you want to overreact so I think you try to give yourself a quarter of the season in or around you know twenty games um, but now it's so hard Dan because. There are so many people that sit games out for injuries uh, or, or for you know personal reasons that it's it's a lot harder to get a gauge of what you have because you never have your team. When do you think will be a fair starting point to assess the Lakers? Well, I think when James gets back and he plays you know ten games, and I also think. Uh, because 
James has been out. People have overlooked Kendrick Nunn being out. Kendrick Nunn will be a huge addition to their group. Mm-hmm. Um, defensive intensity, some speed and quickness, which they lack throughout their roster. So I think when James and Nunn get back and you see what they have, and if you see, you know, how are they going to play with Westbrook Davis, Carmelo Anthony, and James, and how they fit around those four guys? And then I would suspect they're probably going to stick with Anthony Davis for a majority of minutes at the five. I think then you're going to know, you know, are they a good team, a really good team, or a championship-level team? What do you do with the Russell Westbrook style? If, if you want to modify, slow down, change, or can you at this stage? No, I think, you know, Westbrook, um, for better or for worse, um, <laughs> is committed to his, his style of play. And I don't think you're going to change somebody's strengths at this, uh, you know, at this age. Um, his strengths will remain his strengths. His non-strengths will remain their non-strengths. And I think what you want to do is maximize his strengths, try to minimize or hide the non-strengths. And I think what's really interesting uh, is how they're going to go about, okay, when James has the ball or James and Davis are in pick and roll, what what do you want Westbrook to do? Do you want him to spot up and attack? Do you want him to spot up and shoot? Because he will be open. Um, that's where teams are going to give support from defensively. And I think for the Lakers, they just have to decide what they think gives them their best chance. And I think um, when they get, when Westbrook commits, even though it leads to some turnovers to attacking off of on the second side, when he's on the weak side, I think he creates some good things. And I think they need that sort of, um, thrust to the basket. Would you want to coach him right now? You know what, uh, Dan, when I, I interviewed for uh, the Rockets job when he was still a member of the Rockets, and this was in the pandemic, and I wanted to speak to both Harden and Westbrook. Harden didn't make himself available. Westbrook did. And hmm. I had the best conversation uh, with a player that I didn't know at all uh, when I coached Westbrook, uh, when I talked to Westbrook, I should say. He was um, so forthright in what he thought, uh, how he saw himself, um, his place in the game. I really appreciated his directness and his honesty because sometimes in those situations it's easier to – if you don't know somebody, just be sort of cliche-ish and um, more passive-aggressive. And I, I just, I really appreciated, uh, I've always appreciated who Westbrook is off the floor. He does so so many remarkable things. But in that one conversation I had, maybe it was like a 45-minute to an hour conversation, um, I just really ap- uh, appreciated his directness. and um, And he was... I don't want to say appreciative of my directness, but I think he, I think he liked uh, direct talk and straightforwardness. So it was a great conversation. And again, you don't know someone until you coach him. So it'd be impossible for me to answer your question. But I think from that conversation, I would have enjoyed being around him.
how do you not take Harden not wanting to talk to you as like, do you take it personally that he doesn't want to talk to you? Well, I don't know if he didn't want to just talk to me. I, I don't know if he wanted to participate in, oh, uh, okay. Okay. in the, um, in the process. Maybe he already knew he wanted out. I, I don't know, but um, you know, I, I just, that's, again, that's not a knock on Harden. He can do what he wants, but I, I just appreciate Westbrook's time and his, uh, his forthrightness um, very, very much. We're talking to Jeff Van Gundy. He's with Mark Jackson, Ryan Rucco. They got the Mavs and the Suns coming up tonight. Is Luca going to play? I would, they listed him as that doubtful, so I would say not, which, you know, he came here to see Luca and Booker and Paul, um, all the greatness, and it's a, it's a bummer when you don't get that, but I thought the Mavericks held up well on Wednesday. They just didn't have enough offense down the stretch uh, when Phoenix turned it up. I think Steve Kerr, one of his toughest jobs this year, Coach, is trying to come up with new ways to describe Steph Curry's greatness. Yeah, he should not be able to. I think, Dan, what you should throw down the gauntlet, he cannot use the same adjective (laughs) all year. So, if you start with superb, you've got to come up with something else the next game. Okay. Uh, because I think that would be as interesting as watching. Like, I think people are so used to now seeing Curry take and make, like, these impossible three-point shots from distance, defensive pressure, like that we've become, like, almost numb to how great this is. This is something – that will, I can easily say, will never be replicated. The movement off the ball, the ability to shoot, uh, you know, against great defense, uh, be able to shoot on the move, off the dribble, like he has completely revolutionized the game, and we're never going to see something like this, so we better appreciate it. Well, I wondered, and I, I, I sometimes overstate my love for Steph Curry just because I, I understand that that range, shooting like that, and if you're not necessarily quick or big or strong, can't jump, but he, he's, he's changed the game. How many players in the history of the sport can you say have truly changed the game? Well, you're right. Just a handful because there's been like so many great players. But, see, I think Curry's a better athlete than people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. You know, the hand-eye coordination, the agility, the balance, um, the rhythm, as you know, Dan, as a great shooter, the rhythm to that shot, to be able to get it up with the soft touch from that distance, you can't be anything other than a great athlete to do that. So, um he has. He's changed the game. And uh, a lot of guys try to emulate how he plays. And uh, oftentimes you see just god-awful shots being shot in the NBA because they're shooting Steph Curry shots that only, you know, <laughs> he should be allowed to shoot. You know, so not every it's not equal opportunity to take the shots he takes because only he can make them at the efficiency level that he does. You're the head coach. I'm going to give you Steph Curry's career, everything that's gone on, KD's career, everything that's gone on, and then you get them the rest of their career as well. Who do you want? 
you know, like you're you're like my <laughs> wife trying to give me like box me in and like <laughs> make, like make people hate me. Like, how about this, Dan? You pick first, and I'll take second. And I I don't care who you pick because I'm going to be really happy with my pick. I never I knew watched, you would back away. I mean, Dwayne Wade answered it. Who do you take? No, you answer, and then I'll tell you who he took. No, you're not gonna. You're not gonna. No, <laughs> I'm not married to you. Only my wife can box me in. Like okay, that. No. I, I. He took Steph Curry, and I took Steph Curry as well. Okay, well then to balance it out, I'll take Durant okay. because if you guys want, like, it's a it's a reasonable like. How can you not want to coach Steph Curry? Think about what Steve Kerr got. He got them both. <laughs> like yeah. in their prime, that should be illegal. I mean, I watched Durant this year, you know, cause we've talked so much about how great Curry is, but I watched Durant this year when I was a part of the Olympic team. I'd never really been around him. I'd actually been around him two times in my career, the Olympic team. When I watched him work out, Dan, I was like, this guy's a machine. His, his work he didn't need a coach there. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. Hmm. He, he worked at a pace that was game-like, which is unusual. A lot of guys stay out on the court a long time but don't get a lot accomplished. Durant was just the opposite. He was 20, 25 minutes, full speed, every repetition, and it didn't hurt that the ball always goes in the basket, right? So, And then the other time was when I was coaching the Rockets, and stop me if I've told you this, but – we had training camp at the University of Texas, and it turns out to be Durant's only year in college. So we're down there in early October, and we go to our first practice, and it's a 10 o'clock practice. We got there at 9. I have no idea who this kid is on the floor, but he is going through a workout like full speed. Okay. You know, he looks like a talented young guy. I have no idea what his name is. We practice. He's there the, the, the whole time. Then after we're getting off the court and milling around before we leave, he comes back on the court and works again. We come back before our second practice that day at at six. He's on the court. He then watches us practice, and then he comes back on the court again after. He did that the whole week we were there. I'm like, this guy is an absolute machine. I learned his name. I mean, now, I don't know when the heck his classes were, but I know (laughs) when we were there for those seven days, I have never seen a guy work like that. That, It was impressive. And you know what? Whatever, how many ever years it is later, uh, 17 years later or whatever it is, he was doing the same exact thing in a shorter amount of time on courts in Japan. And it was – you know, he loves the game. He's improved with his passing, his his handle. And, I mean, literally an impossible guy to guard. And so you, right now, you know, you got Curry, you got Jokic, and you got Durant, and they are all having these incredible years. Has anybody broached the topic with you of the an NFT, you know, the picture thing the NBA is doing where you're holding on to Alonzo Mourning's leg? And you could sell that, and and people are paying big money for these NBA moments. But uh, do you, have you... I, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Like, 
isn't the picture out there? Anybody could have it if they wanted it. I don't know why you'd want it, but McLovin, explain NFT to coach. So the people involved have exclusive rights, and yeah, the picture is out there, but you could have ownership of exclusive rights to it. Uh, basically, you can limit the supply. You're the only one who has the official Jeff Van Gundy, Alonzo Morning Leg photo. Oh. <laughs> Well, well, that's what what a great moment to try to own uh, my temporary insanity. See, that's as stupid as what I proposed the other day to Mark Jackson. So, think if I, this was makes any business sense to you, Dan. You're okay. you're a business guy. Right. I saw that the Lakers, the Staples Center, changed their name to Crypto.com, right? Yeah, and they got paid this huge amount. What if I changed my name? legal to crypto.com or some or taco bell let's say and so mike breen when he comes on the air says i'm here this is mike breen with mark jackson and taco bell <laughs> do you think they would pay me two and a half million dollars a year to change my legal name yes yes let's get it done let's get it because done. It, like tonight Let's say Ryan Rucco introduces, you know, Mark, Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Crypto. Yes. Or Coach Crypto. Yes. I'll go like Coach Prime, like Deion Sanders. Coach Crypto. Yes. I, I think there's money to be made there. See, and I think all broadcasters should change their name, legal name, and then put it on their, their legal name could go on their jacket. Because how can the mothership say I can't put my legal name on, on on my jacket, right? When they come to an on camera, I was thinking about that. Even Dan, this is how how lonely you get in the hotel room. How about you know the um, name, image, and likeness yeah. for um, college? What if all those players just legally change their name to you know at center Taco Bell? Um, at forward, McDonald's, you know, Wendy's is your point guard. Like, And at quarterback, Arby's. Yes. What? I think that's how, if I became a college coach, I'd have all my kids change their legal names. And then, you know, change them back when you go to the NBA or, or into the real world, you know. So, yeah, I think I'm on to something. Better than the what the Lonzo Morning temporary insanity where I look like a fool and I deserve <laughs> to be beaten. Like they should have stopped the game right there and dropped a ring down and and made me and Morning fight and just have Morning just pummel me, you know, for my coming on the court. Did you ever talk to Alonzo Morning about that where you're holding on to him like a ball and chain? No, you know what? He like back in those times, like. We played the Heat four straight years in the playoffs, and they went to the final game all four years. And so, and the and the regular season games we played four times a year, and they were just like brutal. So, you, you know, you develop this like sense of like dislike. I mean, my brother was on the other staff, and I'm like, I'm not so keen on him during the weeks we're playing Miami, right? So, <laughs> the morning thing happens, and and I have never spoken to morning in my life, you know. Um, and so the next year I just was fortunate enough to be the all-star team coach. And I'm like dreading having to coach, you know, morning in the all-star game. Cause you know, like, you know, you're going to have to like talk to him a and B, you know, he's going to have to, like, you're going to have to say something about being a, like a clown 
um, holding on to his leg. And so I was so grateful. We were heading out to media day, and I hadn't seen him yet. And he came behind me and grabbed me and hugged me from behind. I didn't know who it was, and it was him. And he broke the ice, and he was so um, – I, I don't know what the word would be, but he was just so nice, like, about the whole thing, where he – you know, he could have made me feel even worse than I already did about what I did. So – I'll be forever grateful for his kindness in that moment. And then it took me about, after the game, it took me about 12 minutes to get back to my anti-heat. <laughs> Have fun tonight there, uh, Crypto. And uh, that'll be the Mavs and the Suns. That'll be at 10 Eastern on the Mothership. Uh, great to talk to you, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. All right, Dan. Take care.